Today's scripture reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 5. That's found on page 1530 in your pew Bibles. And I will say that what I'm about to read, as Chad has said correctly, this is still the season of Christmas. The passage I'm about to read uh, probably won't sound very Christmassy to you. Um, but when you think about it, uh, at Christmas we celebrate the fact that our Lord became a child at Bethlehem and was laid in a manger for us and for our salvation. His becoming a child is at the center of what we, we celebrate at Christmas. And then during his ministry and, and throughout the, the Gospels and even into the epistles, as we heard in the, what Chad read, we are called to follow him in the sense that we too are called to be like children. So maybe thinking about what that might mean is the perfect thing to think of at Christmas. Let's listen to Jesus' words in, these pa in this passage. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus ask, and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like, a little, like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. This is the word of the Lord. So the disciples come to Jesus and they ask him the question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Uh, that's, a, that's a question that they asked Jesus quite a lot. Uh, that was a subject that they were concerned with, that they obsessed on. And usually they didn't just ask Jesus, usually they thought about it. Like Jesus would be walking down the road in Galilee and his disciples would be trailing behind him, bickering about who was the greatest among them, jostling to get in front so they could walk right beside Jesus. Jesus wants me to walk beside him. And that would go on until Jesus would turn around and say, knock it off, in so many words. Now in our passage, I mean, if you listen to it, they're not fighting, right? They're just coming to him and asking the question, who is the greatest? But it still shows you that they've got greatness on the brain, right? It still shows you that they're obsessed with this question. They're always thinking about where do they rank? How do they compare to each other in terms of greatness? Who is the greatest? Who is great? That is a question that not just asked by the disciples. We human beings, we love this question. We ask this question all the time. We're as obsessed as they were with greatness. We're coming to the end of the year. And throughout December, what do you see as the year comes to an end? Top 10 lists, right? Everything is ranked. Greatest movies of the year, greatest TV shows of the year, greatest podcasts of the year, best restaurants, top 10 whatever. Every year, Time Magazine has the person of the year, defined as the person who has had the greatest influence on world events. This year, the person who has had the greatest influence on world events is... Taylor Swift. If you want to know more about that, ask Larry. 
He's, he's in the know. But, but that's us, right? I mean, that's people. We love ranking things. We love ranking things. We love deciding, thinking about who's the greatest. And as we do that, how do we measure? What's the measuring stick that we use? How do we determine, how do we determine what counts as greatness? Well, maybe a way to help see how we do that is to think about some of the people throughout history that we have labeled as great, that, that humanity has called, these are great people. And, and there's a number of those, like someone like Alexander the Great, right? That was his name. We called him the Great. Why did we call him that? Well, Alexander the Great was a great conqueror. He was a Greek general, and he, he created the biggest emperor that had ever existed up to that point. It went all the way from Egypt and up to Turkey and, and all the way to India. And so people said, wow, this guy, he's, he knows how to fight. He is the Great this ruthless conqueror, greatness. Another person that we called the greatest, Muhammad Ali, right? That was his nickname. Muhammad Ali was a great boxer for you young people. He, he, he won many, many world championships. He's a terrific boxer. He's also a really smart guy and a really great talker. He was an enormous cultural influence in the world, and he wasn't afraid to tell you that. If you remember, he would say, I am the greatest. I float like a butterfly and I sting like a bee. I'm the greatest, he would say. And people believed him. Another great person, to me at least, uh, Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> Wayne Gretzky, uh, uh, best hockey player who ever lived, in my opinion, scored the most points over the arc of his career, uh, record for most points in a single season, 212. And what was his nickname? Some of you probably know that. He was called the Great One or the Great Gretzky. Okay? So all those are people that we have called great. And what is the measurement that, that, that we used then that ended up making those people called great? Well, a couple things, I think. First, it's obviously amazing ability. You have to be really, really good at something, really, really good at conquering people, really, really good at hockey, really, really good at boxing, really, really smart, top of your field. So there's, there's ability, outstanding ability, but it's not just outstanding ability. Central to the, the greatness and greatest thing is ranking. It's an essentially comparative category. It's not enough that you're just really good. You have to win. You hear that in sports all the time. Uh, who's, who counts as a great in a sport? Well, you, you, you gotta win championships. If you don't win championships, you can't be great. You're a sports fan, you know that's what they say. So it's not, it's not just being really good at something, it's being ahead. It's comparative. If your building is the tallest, if your business is the most successful, if your book sells the most copies, you are the greatest. Ability and then ranking. If that's the way we, we do greatness, if that's the way we define it and measure it, it, it doesn't always work out so well. It certainly doesn't work out very well for the disciples. It's, it's not a good thing because they are forever comparing themselves to each other and it's soul-killing. You can imagine how that would go. Andrew, say one of the disciples, Andrew, in this comparative greatness game, you know, he'd look at, say, Bartholomew and Thaddeus. 
two disciples who, who don't really do much in, in the Bible, right? We don't know much about them because they don't show up. And you could look at Bartholomew and Thaddeus and Andrew could say, well, I'm, I'm be- I, they hardly do anything. I'm, I'm way more important than them. But then Andrew would turn around and look at Peter, James, and John and say, well, Jesus has always taken them on special, uh, uh, special excursions. How come, he's, how come he's not taking me? And so in this greatness game, he goes back and forth, and he goes from feeling proud to feeling jealous and miserable, back and forth. It's not good. It's soul-killing. Nevertheless, that's the game the disciples are playing, and they decide to ask Jesus for help in this game. Jesus, who is the greatest? They figure that if Jesus gives them some good advice, they can climb the rankings. And instead, Jesus blows up the whole question. Takes a five-year-old child, puts him in the middle of everyone and says, see this kid? See this five-year-old? That's greatness. You want to be great? Become like this child. No more comparing yourselves all the time. Become like this child. What does Jesus mean by that? What does it mean to become like this child? Now, before I I try to say what I think positively this means, let me say one thing about what I think it doesn't mean, okay? I don't think that when Jesus tells the disciples to stop arguing about who's being the greatest and become like this child, I don't think it means that we should stop trying to do great things. I don't think Jesus wants us to stop trying to do important, achieving things in our life. He wants us not to worry about who's the greatest doesn't mean we should stop trying to do great things. So, if a student submits an essay for a class in her English class and she hasn't worked on it at all, she just dashed it off at midnight and didn't think about it and hands it in and the teacher reads it and realizes that this is no good and puts a D at the top and says, not great, beside it, that's okay. And conversely, if another student has done a lot of work on her essay and has done a magnificent job and hands it in, and the teacher puts an A on the top and says, great work, that that teacher is not transgressing what Jesus is saying here. It's okay to compare things like essays. And we have to do that. How else do we we improve as people without feedback about this is working, this is not working, this is good, this is not so good. We need that. But, But what the disciples are doing, they're not comparing things. They're comparing people. When they ask who is the greatest, they're not asking what is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. They're asking who. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Comparing things is necessary. Comparing and valuing people is where the problems come in. With that out of the way, what then does Jesus mean when he says become like a child and then you'll be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Maybe he means that he wants us to be like children in our faith. Children, of course, are more trusting than adults. If a dad is in a pool and a three-year-old is up on the side of the pool and dad says, come on, honey, jump, the child will jump without thinking. If a 19-year-old is in the pool and his buddy is up on the pool deck and he says, come on, jump, his friend will say, yeah, right. Children are more trusting. Maybe part of becoming like a child is being willing to just throw yourself into the care of God. 
I think that's part of it. Maybe Jesus wants us to be spontaneous and vulnerable like children. Children are open, right? Their emotions, their feelings, they're not self-conscious. They open themselves up. Maybe that's what Jesus means. When I was six years old, I sat in front of a big room like this at a wedding and sang, Jesus loves me. And I did it without even being a titch nervous. That would never happen now. But that's right, that's children, right? Just open, vulnerable. Certainly when Jesus says that he wants us to become like a child, humility is part of it. That he says explicitly. Humble yourself and become like a child. A child is humble. A child doesn't pretend to be self-sufficient. Doesn't pretend that it can fend for itself. A child knows that it needs to lean and love other people and it needs other people to pick him, pick her up. Jesus clearly means that we should humble ourselves like a child. So all of these things are possible and all of these things I think are part of what Jesus is calling us to when he calls us to be like children. But I think at the center of what Jesus is asking is something completely different. Ultimately, becoming like a child has nothing to do with what we do and has everything to do with who we are. Becoming a child is nothing to do with what we do. It's everything to do with who we are in Christ. It has to be that way. If, if, Jesus, if all Jesus is doing here in this passage when the disciples ask who is the greatest is changing the standard, then he's not really getting rid of the greatest game, right? So if the new standard is, like so Andrew, so Andrew says, okay, Jesus wants me to be a spontaneous and he wants me to be trusting. Okay, wow. I'm way more spontaneous than Thaddeus, and I'm way more trusting than Peter. I'm winning. I am the greatest at being like a child. That's not what Jesus wants. When Jesus calls us to be great like a child, he's thinking of an entirely different way of being great. What is it that makes a child great? Those kids who came up here for the children's sermon this morning, we think they're great, right? We think they're great. I think they're great. I hope you do. Those babies that we take up to be baptized, I can tell by the look on your face, you think those babies are great. Why do we think those children and those babies are great? Is it what they do? Is it their excellent crawling skills? Is it their singing? So that's interesting, right? Of all the choirs at the grave, which choir is the most likely to get applause? The littles, right? Is that because they are the best singers at the grave? No, <laughs> they're not. Sorry, kids. <laughs> they're very good. You're very good. They're very good. But why do we applaud? Why do we think we're great? We think they're great because of who they are, because they are a gift of God, because God has made these beautiful creatures in his image and made them part of this church, and there they are. It's who they are, not what they do. All of us are great that way. When it, as Christians, when it comes to the center of what makes a human being great, all of us are great in that way. That's the center of any greatness that any of us have. We're great not because of what we do or achieve, but because we are fearfully and wonderfully made in God's image. Because God sent his son to be with us because he valued us that much, and then 
had that same son die on a cross for us because we mattered that much to him. The pearl of great price. Not because of anything you did, but because of who you are in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is God's work, not yours, so that no one can boast. In Christ, greatness is not an achievement that you accomplish through strength. Greatness is a gift that you receive in weakness and in gratitude and ultimately in joy. It's a gift that you get from Christ. And all of us can be great that way. All of us in Christ are great that way. And when you start to look at each other that way, rather than the other way, everything changes. Do you know the name Paul Brand? Paul Brand was a brilliant, brilliant physician who worked throughout the 20th, late 20th century. And he was genuinely accomplished. Uh, he was uh, specialized in working on leprosy. And one of the things that he was the one who discovered, along with a few others, that Hansen's disease, leprosy, what happens in it is that it's, uh, you lose your feeling, right? It's the lack of pain that makes you become disfigured. He discovered that. And then he also pioneered all kinds of procedures to fix hands and feet and limbs for people who had leprosy. He was celebrated for his achievements. He received all kinds of awards. He was given the OBE, Office of the British Emperor, or is it Order of the British Empire? Anyway, he was knighted by Queen Elizabeth. He could have gotten any position he wanted anywhere at any university or at any think tank. Instead, what Paul Brand did was go to work with lepers in India. In India, where a leper is a person who's literally treated like garbage. Nobody looks at them and nobody touches them. And he started these leprosariums, and he would be the first one to look at them, and he would touch them, and he would help them, and he would stem the tide of their leprosy so they could function again. He started leprosariums everywhere, and at every one he went to, he would always, he was a Christian man, deeply Christian, he would have worship services weekly at these places. And Philip Yancey tells a story of one time he went to Louisiana to one of the leprosariums, that Brand ran, and there was a worship service, and he was going to preach there, which he often did. And he said, in addition to all his work, Dr. Brand spent so much time preparing the sermon for that Sunday, just so much time praying and studying. And then Sunday came, and, and Philip Yancey got to church, and there was only like 30 people in church. And half of them, because they were suffering with leprosy, could barely hear, so they could hardly hear the minister. And yet, Paul Brand got up into that pulpit and preached this sermon that he'd given his blood and sweat to, a sermon worthy of Westminster Abbey, says Yancey, just because of the greatness of the people in front of him. I think that's the story of someone who's learned to see greatness the way that Jesus sees it. People of God, as you move forward into the new year, I hope you will do great things. I hope you will try to achieve things. I hope you will attempt difficult things. I truly do. But today, remember the true source of your greatness. You belong to Jesus. And that's not just good. It's great. Amen.
Thank you, Lord, for the gift of grace, the gift of life, this miracle that we live and breathe and laugh, the wonder of each other, and most especially the wonder of salvation that we have through your Son. These are such great things. As we contemplate the passing of time today and as we think about the purpose of our life and on a day when we, we tend to take a longer view of everything that we're doing, Lord, set our feet on you. Let us rest in your arms. May you be our foundation in the year to come and for the rest of our lives. Amen.